ride with me in my foul life. And just like that, we're back. The Foul Life Podcast. Here we are with another edition, another freaking badass episode of Dickie's Workwear Podcast Series. Where are you working, America? Hey, world, where are you working? Remember, we were put on this earth to work. We've got to get up. We got to go to work. We got to make money. We got to put food on the table. It doesn't matter what you choose to do in life as long as you do it with dignity, class, passion, love, desire, focus, attention to detail, no cutting corners. Always want to under promise and over deliver. That's our motto here. Put on this earth to work. That's why we love working with our family. Dickie's work wear. And remember, it's Dickie's work wear, W-E-A-R. But this episode, this podcast series is W-H-E-R-E. Where are you working? And today we have a special guest, a good friend of the family, a good friend of the brands. You know him as a duck caller, a goose caller, a competition caller extraordinaire, a hunter, a killer, a fisher, a cooker, a conservationist, a provider, a father, a son, a husband, John David Stanley, who makes his home in Texas now, but for part of the year, he makes his home in Alaska on the Kenai River, guiding salmon and trout fishing excursions. And we're going to talk to him today, what it's like to be a guide, because after he's done fishing from May to October, he heads straight to Texas and starts guiding for Ranger Creek Waterfowl Service in the big old great state of Texas. So John David, welcome, my man. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. Do you like to work? Yeah, I love working. You're kind of a gypsy worker. I'm guiding def- is gypsy kind of. De- definitely would fit into the gypsy line for sure. Yeah, it's like I, I kind of at a young age. I when I knew you were when you were a kid, I knew you were going to end up being a gypsy full time guide, part time hunter you don't you don't really get to hunt anymore do you no that's that's the biggest misconception with guiding everybody's like oh you just get to hunt and fish all the time no i facilitate it but i personally don't get you're hunting with a camera more these days Mm -hmm. but let's talk about alaska the the final frontier like you don't see things in america and the continents maybe some places in montana the high sierra mountains i'm not saying you're not going to see anything that's beautiful lake tahoe is beautiful there's so many beautiful parts of our country but you talk about a desolate place where there's not a lot of civilization most of alaska is undeveloped which is unbelievable right that's awesome so you're up there from may to october every year and you're working for which which outfitting service alaska trout guides alaska trout guides so when you say trout what defines a trout in this part? Is it always on the, is it every day on the Kenai? Yeah, every day. So what defines a trout? What the is r- rainbow, what rainbow trout. That's the species of trout that we have there. Okay. And are there other species of fish that you guys focus on? Yeah. So there's, so there's the native species to the river or the rainbow trout. And then what is called a Dolly Varden, which is a member of the char family. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like a brook trout isn't actually a trout. It's a char. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's Dolly Vardner in that. And then the other one that you hear, like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, is bull trout. Those are related to dollies. And then you get north of a certain latitude, and they are Arctic char. But they're all in the same family. Dollies, bull trout, and Arctic char. So these clients are coming up there in in booking a guided trip with you. Mm -hmm. And are most of them from the continent of the United States that come to you? Quite a few. We, we get a lot of Europeans. Do um, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I have I have a group of guys, a couple groups of guys that come from Scotland every couple of years to salmon fish just because they don't have any salmon anymore to amount so you, to anything. So you're guiding for different species of trout plus salmon. Right. So, so there's dollies and rainbows. That would be the trout fishing aspect of the river. And then we have king salmon, sockeye salmon, and silver salmon. We also get pink salmon, but you don't really target those. You target the kings, sockeyes, and the silvers. And so can you keep all of those species of salmon if you hook onto one? Can you keep them legally? At at times, yes. Sockeyes and silvers, yes. I've never seen it where they close. Um, kings, it just depends on how the run's doing. So most of these clients coming up there for the sport of it or to take this food home because salmon's so good to eat? Mm. Or, or a lot of them catch and release, or do all of them keep their fish? It, it, it depends on the clients. Some come to fill fish boxes, and some come to just experience the fishing. You know, um, with the kings, um, their runs are way down, super low numbers. They're not doing well. Um, so it's catch and release has been for the majority of the last few years, um, just trying to protect them. But people still come to fish for them because the kings that we have in the Kenai are the largest genetic on the face of the earth. They're the biggest ones. Wow. You know, um, the only place that really rivals it is the Skeena River in British Columbia. When you when you were on that part, you know, as desolate as I made Alaska sound, but I know you're busy. You said you only had like nine or ten days off in six months. Yeah. You go to places like the Sacramento River, the Columbia River, and when it's on, when it's whether it's striper season or salmon season or any of the other species that you are targeting on these river systems, a lot of times you can't barely see the water. There's so many boats on it. Yep. Does the Kenai look like that yeah. this time of year? Yeah, it does, um, particularly when the sockeyes are there because the banks are just full of people. Um, you know, it's also Anchorage's backyard. You know, I'm. The Kenai is not the rural Alaskan experience. It's it's on the road system. So it's a great place for people that want to bring their family. And if their significant other doesn't like to fish or whatever, there's lots of opportunities to go whale watching, go see bears, go like you're not stuck at a fishing lodge like you would be in other parts of the state where you either fish or you just hang out and camp all day, you know. There's there's lots of stuff for everybody to do there. So there's a lot of outfitters with a lot of boats on this part of the river, though. Oh, there's tons. I mean, are there locals that take their own boats out and fish, or, and you're competing with locals as well? Yep, yep. So they and then the state actually. So like June and July, I'm limited. All guides are limited. We have these big green ADF and G stickers that are on our boats. Um, June and July, I can only fish six a.m. to six p.m. And I can't fish Sunday or Monday. I can't. I can't even take my kids fishing because you're my not local. Because no, because my boat's stickered. Your it's boat's a guide stickered. boat. It's a guide boat. Yep. So um, that's on the lower portion of the river. You can still work in on the upper portion of the river, which we have a, where my boss has a permit up there. It's a competitive use area. So there's only 19 permits on the upper half of the Kenai, and he has one. So that fills us up and. Instead of having two days off a week, we work up there. So we work every day. When you're like fly fishing on a river system like we have here in Nevada or Northern California, scouting's a big part of it. Knowing that the current is, knowing what the runoff is, knowing 
what the hatch is, you know, mm-hmm. what insects are being born at what times of the day. You're going to try to match the hat. Are you going to nymph it underwater? Are you going to dry fly it on top water? Do you have an indicator? There's all these mindsets that go through in fly fishing. You're fly fishing a lot up here personally for some of, you know, some of your recreational time. Mm-hmm. Most of the fishing done out of a boat is spinning rods. Is it cast? Is it bait casting? How are you catching most of the fish on your outfitting trips? So the trout fishing is all fly rods. All and, fly and, rods. And it's out Off of, the, of a boat, though. Out of the boat. A lot of the time. Sometimes we wade fish, particularly in the upper river. Lower river is more of a powerboat fishery, so you fish out of the boat. Because it creates more opportunity for everybody, because everybody can make a pass through a spot that has fish in it, rather than you anchoring or wade fishing and then blocking off a stretch of river to where other people can't get in to use it. Um, But the salmon fishing primarily is gear fishing. Um, you know, sockeye fishing is, is for people that don't know about it. It's, it's, it's an interesting way to fish. So sockeyes are plankton feeders. They're not an apex predator, so to speak in the ocean when they're out there, they're, they're, they eat plankton, they eat small krill. They eat, they're, they're not hunting stuff per se, like say a king, they eat silvers, they eat, or they eat squid they eat sardines they eat anchovies like they're they're a predator a major predator in the ocean so these sockeyes aren't aggressive at all so when they migrate up the river to go up to get set up and start spawning they travel within 20 feet of the bank so you get on these outside bins or inside bins wherever there's a good current and you cast like a one ounce weight out with about six feet a liter and a hook with a little bit of yarn on it or a bead, a small bead, you're not trying to attract them at all. What you're doing is you cast that out and you drag it across. You feel that weight on the bottom and you drag it across. And when you feel something soft, you set the hook. Well, when you feel something soft, what you're doing is you're dragging that leader across perpendicular to the direction that the current's going. So you're dragging it across the current and those fish are swimming upstream, breathing, opening and closing their mouth. And you run the line through their mouth and you hook them. Like it's, it's perfected snagging is what it is. Wow. And they go ballistic. Like, but that's gotta be what the, probably the most difficult form of fishing up there this time of year. seems like you'd have to know what you're doing instinctively to, no. to be able to fill that. No, so you, it just, you, you, it's, it, you just sit there and keep making casts. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very simple form. I mean, you're only talking about your casting maybe 15 feet. Like you don't have to cast far. How, how does... You know, there's got to be fish in the area for that type of fishing to happen. That's so right. How, so it, it's that's really tough when there's not fish pushing. So how do you, in your other job, scout, you know, goose guiding and duck guiding, mm-hmm. scouting's key. Mm-hmm. Being on the X or getting in between the X and running traffic, the roost in the X. But how do you know what part of the river to put in on? Or do you, does your boss just know from being up there so much that this day we're going to be here? Does everybody, why does it get so crowded in certain areas? Couldn't you just go down or up river and get away from everybody and with the activity on the Kenai be successful? Or why does it always get so traffic jammed up with boats? Well, so. Because that, that, hold part, on, that style of fishing that you just defi- described, mm-hmm. that seems like that'd be almost impossible with a huge amount of fishermen in the same general area. There's so many fish coming. I mean, there'll be, there's a gravel bar that everybody fishes on the lower part of the river that'll have 50 people on it, standing 10 feet apart, doing that. And everybody's catching fish when the fish are coming. I mean, because you're talking, we'll get, 
on a good tide, we'll get thirty to eighty thousand fish on one tide. No way. Yeah. And like this year we had insane runs of sockeye. So we got we ended up with almost two and a half million of them in the river system. Wow. Yeah. So is there uh when those guys are like fifty guys on a sandbar, are those locals? Guides. Guides. Guides with and locals. Everybody. Yep. So what is the what is the but that's just for sockeyes. That's sockeyes when the that's sockeye sockeyes. runs going. Yep. So how they, do you know when the sockeye runs on? They so we have a sonar that counts them. So they, I mean, and so, they they show up, you know, like no different than waterfowl. Like they're migratory species. They generally show up in these windows throughout the year, I right? Gotcha. So they're fairly predictable as far as when they're going to start coming. You know, how long they come for this year was an anomaly. I mean, usually by mid-August, there's really no sockeyes to speak of. I mean, it, it's at the tail end of the run this year. You know, I mean, we were sockeye fishing to late August because they were still coming, 30 or 40,000 of them on a tide. Like, it was it was crazy. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So is there a minimum length like there is with other Like fishers? a slot limit? Well, yeah, like if you're going to keep a fish, like – there's nothing. No, nope, not not on not on sockeyes or silvers. Kings, there can be a slot on them. Um, usually, I believe in the regs, the way it's written, and they they change it throughout the year, the run, just depending. But June, you can't kill a fish over thirty four inches, and then July, which is the second run, kings, um, when we can kill them. It's either you can kill fish under 42 inches or if there's if we have a really good run, they'll just open it up and you can kill any of them. Um, so you can kill anything on a on a certain run on a certain species yep like so- like sockeyes there's no there's no restrictions no no slot, no nothing. If it's a sockeye, you can bonk it. And what's the limit? Three per person per day. And then once they reach the escapement or they figure through their, the state figures through their algorithm that the escapement goal for the river is going to be met, which is, I think, 1.2 million to 1.4. Um, then they'll liberalize the limits. So like this year, like by the, I think August 9th or 10th, it, the limit the limit went from three to six per person per day. Really? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when it's good, when you get in front of a push of fish, like I went several days in a row where I was done in less than two hours with three or four anglers, so 24 fish. What other fish are in this system? So total fish that we get that sport fish are – so you have rainbows, dollies, sockeyes, kings, silvers, and pink salmon. That's it. That's the sport fish in there mm-hmm. that can be caught and kept to eat. Yep. So the tr- the trout the trout and the dollies are protected. You can keep one. We don't kill them. Um, you don't kill them. No, I mean, why would you? So kill, why like, would you kill are, a trout when there's salmon? Are there striped bass and are there stripers? No. Nope. Nope. Are there sturgeon? Nope. 
because a lot of the river systems down here, you know, as they get down into the lower 48, the river systems start to collect a whole bunch. Like there's bass and stripers and yep. stir, like the Sacramento's got it all in waters, it. Right? The water's temperatures are not, the A, they're non-native up there, but B, the temperatures don't lend themselves to those kinds of fish. They're a warm water species. So with, before I get into your day up there, have you ever seen a bear come down and do what they show on some of the commercials where they know the salmon are running? Do you see a bunch of bears stacked up in that part of Alaska? At times. Really? Mm-hmm. Are they grizzlies or brown? Or like brown bears. Are? Brown bears and black bears. We have both. Really? Hmm. Isn't grizzly a brown bear? No. Grizzly, so grizzlies live in the interior. They, they forage more like black bears. Um, so they're, what, omnivores, right? Right. They, they graze and eat meat. Brown bears get bigger. Depending on which who you talk to, they live within 100 miles of the coast. 98% of their diet's fish. So they get a lot bigger. Like a, a big grizzly is going to weigh, I mean, a really big one, eight or 900 pounds. And a really big brown bear is going to weigh in excess of 1,300. Wow. They're huge. And they can run as fast as a Kentucky Derby horse. Forty, they can, they can, they can hit forty miles an hour on flat ground. Brief spurts. Yep, that's nuts. Crazy. So your day is early. Is it always early? Up at not always. Um, king fishing, yes. Um, just because the river's so busy. Um, you know. When king season's wide open and everybody's fishing and it's it's busy, busy, you know, I leave I leave the camper at I can't leave really leave any later than three thirty in the morning and go get fuel. Three thirty in the morning. And get my boat launched so that I can have my boat in the water and meet my clients by five thirty. Just because the boat ramps get so busy. So are your clients Cause I'm not the only guide, right? Like they're, they're public boat ramps. So like on a busy year, King fishing, I think, I th- you know, I mean, I think our average number of guides on the river now is like 278, 278 guides. The highest they've ever had is 412. Wow. So are but you, that's just 400. So you figure during King season when it's wide open, everybody's King fishing for the most part. And, but not fly fishing. This is no, with bait rods. No, no, this, this is all spinner back trolling. Back trolling. Big back, so big is it artificial rods. baits or yep. what? It's yep. all artificial baits. So a lot baits. of times. I can't believe artificial baits are allowed on the river. Well, we can't use live, we can't use bait. You can't use bait at all. Well, unless they open it, unless we have a good run. So we go the way it usually opens. But I mean, you're catching ocean fish. Like if you go, if you, most ocean fishing that I've, that I've, done is all live bait right right or herring or whatever Her- but yeah yes. you're you're fishing something of that sort so with no scent no bait once salmon come in fresh water they're done feeding so they're done they're done like a king's stomach when you clean them will be the size of a grape they're just up there to spawn mm-hmm. that's which is why spawn and die yep which is why their meat goes bad because once they they get that nose full of fresh water their brain shuts off on feeding and goes into, I need to reproduce, right? So they're instantly 
once they stop feeding, like you or me or any animal would when they stop eating, they start living off their fat reserves. Well, that's the oil that make them taste good to us. Makes sense. So that's why their meat deteriorates the longer they've been in fresh water because they're using up all of the oils, all of their fat reserves to stay alive. That's what they're living off of. So you, so you, okay, now, now I'm starting to picture what they're eating, but how many guys are on the boat back trolling if it's king season? On my boat? Yeah. Four. I can't so have, have any more than four people. Okay. And what's your goal when you leave the dock? When you leave the boat ramp, what is your goal right then? They're going out to get their 12 fish and they're done for the day? Well, no. So king fishing, it's it's one. one. And so, if and if so get this. And it's it's the reason they do it, four rods is way better than three. Four rods is way better than two because I'm covering more water. And I'm fishing. All I'm doing is trying to piss a fish off to catch it, right? Because he's not feeding. So, um, like, say you come fishing with me, you know, when you can harvest a lot of times, like I'll land the first, somebody will land the first fish before 610. And we start fishing at 6am because those fish have been left alone for 12 hours. Cause nobody's been on the river or no guides have been on the river. So you catch that, you decide you want to kill it. And keep it, which is legal. I bonk it. Your rod gets put away. You're done fishing for the day. That was your fishing trip. Ten minutes. Wow. And then you just sit there for the next seven hours and fifty. And they know minutes. this going into it. Yep. Yep. And how do they bonk it? When you get them, you just have a little metal bat and you just crack them in the head. As soon as they choose to do that, you're done. Yep, they're done. They're done fish. They can't fish for the rest of the day for anything below the Soldatna Bridge. The lower 17, 18 miles of river. You really? can't fish for anything. So it's not like everybody can catch their kings and then you go sockeye fishing or you go trout fishing. Like so you can't done. fish from the boat at all anymore once you kill a king. What that does is it limits harvest because less rods isn't as effective as max amount of rods, right? Right. Um, but it doesn't limit opportunity. Because those who haven't caught fish are still fishing. Makes sense. So what is the an average day on the river with four clients? Lengthwise? Yeah. Day, like length of the day? Well, eight, eight hours of fishing. Eight I mean, hours of fishing. Yep. Eight, nine hours of fishing, yeah. Hmm. So, and this is every day, the average is eight hours a day on the river. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't include morning fuel, snacks, getting there. You're fishing for eight hours. And then after you're, wa you're washing my boat, boat, washing the boat off, cleaning fish. Yep. If I'm, if, if bait's open, I got to make bait every night. I got to get that ready, which that adds way more to cleaning the boat. Um, just because of the dyes and stuff that are in egg cures and that, um, you know, retying anything fixing anything that gets broken replacing that and then getting ready so for the 10 next 12 day. hour day minimum yeah i mean honestly like i take a nap every day that's it like i'm lucky because i get back and then i my family's there so i hang out with the kids do stuff with them do stuff with Allie, and then you know if i go to bed before 10 or 11 o'clock at night it's a miracle and then you're right back up in the morning. I'm up at three o'clock. And you had nine days off in six months. I think I had, yeah, like 12 days. 
something um, like that. And what are you doing? What are you doing as far as your family's there? Mm-hmm. They're, you're living in a fifth wheel. What are they doing during the day? Are they are because they, they're not fishing with you eight or ten hours a day? So I know it's like just normal. Daddy goes to work, but is there stuff for the kids to be doing? Are they going yeah. out and fishing? And yeah, my wife takes them fishing. Really? Well, yeah, like they, I'd go fishing all day this year when the sockeye run was as good as it was, and then I'd come back and they'd be gone, and I'd text Allie, and she'd text me, and she'd come back and they'd catch you know eight or ten fish, she and the boys, and then she'd fillet them and vacuum pack them and process all the fish and then she'd smoke them and can them and do all kinds of stuff she loves it and then she just she she really enjoys um foraging up there as well which you know picking wild blueberries and raspberries and just the amount of stuff that's edible that grows wild in alaska is actually pretty incredible so she's doing that all the time with her girlfriends and our friends that have kids that are similar age to ours. So there's a whole herd of them that just, they go around and pick berries and the kids play and fish and it's awesome. So with that type of lifestyle, there's no time for a lot of extracurricular activity on your part. With nine days off in six months, you're not getting to go out with the kids much, maybe a day or two. You're right. When I do to, get a day off, that's what I, I still go fishing. I still go to work. I just but don't get not, paid. You, you can't party. You can't stay up late. You're exhausted if you do this type of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I know your lifestyle, you know, back in the day, that's what you do in duck camp. You know, you get there, you're all fired up. Does that happen in, in salmon camp? They get there and they're all excited or they stayed in a hotel and not really associating or, you know, you know, socializing with you in camp. You know, it's some will, we'll get together sometimes. I mean, you know, if, if, a client invites me to dinner, I always go to dinner. That's just what you do, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, we'll have nights where we'll get together, like, at my boss's house, and we'll have drinks and barbecue and stuff. But, you know, I mean, that'll be one night every couple of weeks. You know, I mean, I'll, I may be over there more than that, but it, there's no – it's not like being in hunting camp at a lodge where every couple of days you have a new group that shows up and they're ready to party. So you party with them yeah. and then <laughs> you're just, you're dead by the end of the season. That life you're sucks. Burning the candle at both ends. Big time. Literally. And it's impossible to maintain. No, it's not possible. No, not if you want to perform every day. No. Sounds fun. Sounds glorious, but guiding's hard. It is. Guiding's a hard deal. Now, before we move on, you know, this is why we have this Dickies workwear series is mm-hmm. that there's just so many different lines of work in the world, right? You're working your ass off to make sure that these clients have the quote unquote, and we throw this word around this term a lot, but the trip of a lifetime, you want to write stories and create memories. You want them smiling and high fiving and reminiscing. And you also want to keep your boss's company. What was it called? Alaska trout guides, Alaska trout guides. You want his reputation upheld. So you're mm-hmm. doing, you want to give it your all every day. Guiding's tough though. So, you're how old are you now? Thirty six. Thirty six. This this the end of this fall will be twenty seasons of guiding. Twenty seasons. You started in your sixteen. Seventeen. Seventeen. So, how much longer do you have in your system in your psyche? You think to go to Alaska and do this for six months out of the year? Because you do May, time. June, July, August, September, and part of Half October. Of so almost six full months. Yep. A long time. I love it. Like it's it's 
It's great, man. So do you ever start thinking like, am I going to buy my boss out? Is that on the, is that in the cards? Like, could you become the owner of this and, or be an invest in it and become a co-owner in it? Or are you always going to just, and I'm not saying that guiding is bad, but will you just be a guide for the rest of your life? Or do you have desire to move, move into ownership? You or know, I do, I do not up there. I'll always work for Josh. He's, he's one of the best people I've ever met in the industry, hunting or fishing. Like he's just, he's a, you know, he's a big brother that I never had. And, and, uh, you know, when he asked me to come to work for him after I worked for him for a couple of years, I, I just, I realized that, you know, I, it's, I have a great thing going with him and we get along great and, and, and I enjoy working for him. So, but to start to leave that and start my own thing, it, it would, I would go backwards just because, of the clientele they're his clients right like i'm not taking clients like that's no, and i think that's that's a problem that you see across the board now just heard a story today about with with people people service. doing it everywhere uh, yeah. alpha goose hunting all of it you know everybody sees you know all this money and everything and and they go well i could do that for myself but they don't think about it from the standpoint of they don't have a client list the guy that they work for does and it is not good business business ethics to be carting other people's clients like i take i take sub trips for other outfitters other guides on the river right and their clients they're their clients i wouldn't know them if it wasn't for this other guide right but their clients have a good time with me and they go how do i get a hold of you i want to fish with you again i have business cards i never hand them out i tell them to get a hold of that guy and he can get a hold of me. And that's how it should be. That's because their, that's... then he's getting his cut. I'm making my cut. But I wouldn't know them if it wasn't for that person, right? And that that amount of loyalty is is that's how it should be. It's rare anymore. Rare. It's it's sad. So sad. It really is. So. You say you have no problem in your mind being a guide for the next 20, 30 years. What do you love about salmon guiding so much? Because here's the deal. You're, you're not getting to showcase your talents as much. You're putting your clients on the fish. You, mm-hmm. We know you're a hell of a fisherman. Your dad's the best fly fisherman that I know. He's one of the tops in the world, Dave Stanley. Um what do you get out of it? Because to me, it's almost like how monotonous can it be? You don't get to see the fish doing what they do underwater. Like you get to see ducks doing what they do or mule deer and the majesty of wildlife. Now, fishing is awesome. I love the adrenaline rush. When I'm on the ocean and catching sails or swords or marlin or whatever or tuna or or any whatever, dorado, whatever mm-hmm. it is, I love offshore fishing. I love river fishing. I wish I was a better fly fishing fisherman. But to do it every day. And to see the same old, same old every day of another big silver or another big rainbow pulled into the boat, what does it do for you when you're not getting to catch them and showcase your talents every day? How can you say you want to do that for 20 more years, six so, months out of the year? So it's it's funny that you ask that because I think about it, right? Like at times, like I just wonder sometimes what when I'm exhausted or whatever, like why do I why do I do this? And number one is I love it, man. And, and I know I can catch them. Right. 
but I don't measure myself as an angler anymore on what I can do. Right. It's what I can teach people to do and then watch them have success at it. So I get, I get the reward no different than hunt, hunting with our kids. You hunting with Lissy, watching her kill her first duck, me getting a hunt with Carson and Dexter, watch them shoot their first ducks and geese. Like I get to relive all those feelings that I had 30 years ago when I shot my first duck and my first goose through all of these people that I get to take and show them what I do and show them how to do it. So I, it's, it's rewarding to me to see somebody have success at something and know that I was responsible for that because I've learned how to teach people to do what I already know how to do. I get that. And I understand right? the and analogy, it's, but it's, with kids, it's different when it's your kids. I mean, there's a different feeling. It is, that. but, but it's, but it's, it's all relative, man. It's but you like, got a group of buddies that you love to fish with. Mm-hmm. Grant Kuypers loves to hunt with us. He's a mm-hmm. goose guy. When we go up there, he hunts with us. Yeah. You're not fishing with your guys. You're sitting there driving the boat, telling them where to cast. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that get old? No, because I am fishing. It's the chess game. I'm putting them where they need to be. Like it's, and, and yeah, it's the same thing every day, but it's no different than saying, well, doesn't goose hunting get boring or doesn't duck hunting get boring? It's the same thing every day if you're doing it for a living. Yeah, it is the same thing but, every day, but no but two you, days are exactly but alike. Now, but now you transition into what you just said, duck and goose hunting. You're not even carrying a gun when you hunt. Are you? Can you carry a gun as a guide in Texas? Yep. Yep, I can. I, I shoot but some, you're not shooting but your I don't shoot right? a lot. Nope. I can't stand that when people say, well, you can shoot my limit today. That's you got to be careful. No, you shoot. can't. I, I get asked that all the time. Can't do well, it. well, we only have this many limits. Where's yours? And I was like, I didn't shoot. Yeah, don't shoot. And I have it here for done. cripples or dispatching a cripple, yep. whatever. Um, I don't know. The mindset of me when I was guiding was so – I am so – worried all the time that because of mother nature and you're dealing with a wild animal mm-hmm. you know like if you're a tour guide and you got all these people coming and hey i give tours to san francisco well san francisco's going to be there well maybe to, not tour, that's tour, probably not the to, worst series tour guiding or or scenic river rafting best job on the river yeah but that but that, you know why that, san the only expectation is to live through the float yeah the san francisco is <laughs> probably not a good city because that city might you know, like there's a lot of changes that have happened there. Right. God bless that place. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But as a as a guide, you know, I don't know, man. It's like how much can you really watch? If you're given a tour every day, you know that it's there. Mm-hmm. As a waterfowl hunter, there's so many different pieces of that puzzle. And as a fisherman, that's just like different. You're making the cast. You're doing all of the stuff. When you're just watching. Right. Okay. So think about it from this aspect. Waterfowl move, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I know don't... those fish are going to be in the river every day, right? It's not like they're going to get up and leave like ducks and geese do, right? Like, so that's the constant. Like, then I have to find where they are in the river system or the area of the river that I'm fishing that sure. day. But they're going to be there, right? Like, they live there. Like the trout live there. I just got to find them. And I, and it's not that I just want to find fish. It's I'm looking for a fish every day. One giant fish. Like one. I just want one. But you don't get to catch it. But I do because I find it. 
Like it's not. So like, you're fine with this for 20 more years of not fishing and just letting everybody else live out their dreams. That's what guiding is. That's yeah. to me, guiding is so much different than being a tour guide because I, I get it. Everything's established. You know what you're doing, but when you're guiding waterfowl, you're guiding fishing. Like there's that thing of like, man, I want to participate in it. A tour guide seeing the same thing as his people are. It's every day is the same old thing. There's so much that happens when you're actually in the hunt or in the fish, as opposed to just, you know, hey, that attitude of, well, I'm putting them on the fish. Mm-hmm. That's telling me that you've already done it so much that you don't need to ever do it again. No. And, and it's, you know, that's, that, that's what's incorrect about that statement is like when I have a day off, I do go fishing or I do go hunting for myself. But you're not getting to hunt a hundred days a year like you used to. No, I'm not, but. I get to go. I get to take when my When I kids. was guiding, when I, when I was going with this is that when I was guiding, we're going to end this episode by this, mm-hmm. and we're going to come back with part two about waterfowl guiding. Okay. I want people to think about this as we end part one with John David Stanley right here at the Fowl Life Podcast, Dickie's Workwear Series. The pressure you put on yourself. When I was talking about a tour guide, there's no pressure. You got to watch traffic, but you know that wherever you're at, if it's the Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge... Alcatraz, it's there. Unless something really bad happens and it's not there one day, then we got bigger problems. But there's no pressure, right? You got a book, you got your buggy booked, mm-hmm. you got your car booked or your cable car booked or whatever it is. There's no pressure. As a waterfowl guide, a fishing guide, a deer guide, nothing's guaranteed. You don't know if they're going to get up and go to a different, go stay on the roost all day. You don't know if they're coming to the X. You don't That's know if true. they got up and migrated in the middle of the night. The fish might have moved out in the middle. But the reason I stopped guiding is because the constant pressure of letting people down is what got to me. And that it, 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 there's one thing to say, well, you got to find the right clientele that understand it's fishing, it's hunting. The experience is more important. But me personally, my brain would never let me let go. Man, if we don't get them today, these clients are never going to book here. We're going to have to refund their money if we don't kill them today. You know, because some of those trips are booked out a year before and they get there and you can't control that it's 79 degrees in Texas now and the birds aren't aren't cooperating, right? Right. That's the pressures that were on me as a guide. So I want our listeners to think about that. And when we come back with part two, JD, I want you to talk to people on how, as you work in this industry, and there's so many kids and so many young adults that want to become guides. I want to work in the waterfowl industry. I want to work in the fishing industry. I want to guide. I want you to lay it out there of how you deal with that anxiety, that stress that me, I, I had it all the time when I was guiding. Oh my gosh, are we performing? Are the decoys right? Is the wind going to blow? Is the sun going to shine? Is it going to snow? You know what? It was just one of those things to where you never had control of it. And I want you to think about that as we end part one. Again, Dickie's Workwear Podcast Series, John David Stanley. You can find him on Instagram at jd.stanley. jd.stanley, S-T-A-N-L-E-Y. Check out this man's photography. He's working with Bandit and Avery and Greenhead Gear. Benelli, Federal, you ought to see the shots this guy gets. Not fake shots in the springtime. During hunting season, when it's go time, he's getting unbelievable shots of birds in flight, birds back flapping, decoy shots, just unbelievable dog shots, fishing shots. And check out his wife. Do you know her Instagram? Because it's amazing what she does. Allie Beck Stanley. At Allie Beck Stanley. If you look at this woman's, young woman's artwork, holy smokes. 
she did a piece for me of Mallard's. I don't even know how you define or describe. You can't put her art in a box. Just go onto her Instagram at Allie Beck Stanley and look at what this girl can do with oils and paints and colors and just her vision. She's a perfectionist. She is a badass. She is unbelievable on the Traeger grill. She loves everything outdoors. You're a lucky man. I way out kicked my coverage. Oh, we all know this. <laughs> I'm Chad Belling for John David Stanley. Thank you so much to all of our partners and sponsors. Brand new episodes of The Foul Life airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. And don't forget to check out brand new episodes of our sister podcasts, This Life Ain't for Everybody and Where the Pavement Ends, available right now on all your listening platforms. Thank you all so much for the support. We're going to leave you with this song right here. I'm going to pick a song. Actually, we're going to go with the mainstay. We're staying with it. Nope. Oh, man. Should we do a working? Yeah, we're going to go out. Merle Haggard, Working Man Blues, right here at Dickie's Work Wear Podcast. Thank you, Dickie's, for supporting us. Everything that you do for hunters, fishers, conservationists, gatherers, and providers around the world. We'll be back at you with part two of John David Stanley right here at the Fat Life Podcast, Dickie's Work Wear Series. Working Man Blues. Sometimes I think about leaving, do a little bumming around. I want to blow my bills out the window, catch a train to another town. I'll go back working. 